Welcome to Nothing Ever Happens in Canada, but we know this is simply not true. I'm Canadian Girl. Thanks for joining me today. This is a Canadian podcast about the myths, legends, and just good old stories Canada has to tell. How's everyone doing today? Are you enjoying the spring weather? Have you done any gardening yet? I've started a little indoor garden, as it's not quite warm enough here in Alberta to leave stuff outside just yet. I have some small peppers started, as well as carrots, corn, chives, and rosemary. I even have a couple small strawberry plants that I've managed to keep alive all winter, and they are now starting to grow teeny tiny berries on them. It's pretty cool. What's in your garden? I'd love to know. Or, if you have any growing tips. But let's get exploring this hauntingly beautiful place that listener David H. suggested when he reached out to me here at Nothing Ever Happens in Canada on Facebook. So thank you for that, David H., and your kind words. This adventure goes out to you. We're off today to explore the Old Riverview Psychiatric Hospital and its grounds. We'll see a forgotten garden left behind, abandoned buildings surrounded by a collection of the most exquisite trees in North America, and possibly what's still lurking around the grounds that shouldn't be. Oh, there just might be a celebrity or two, so keep your eyes peeled. This story has it all. True crime, ghost stories, beautiful architecture, and celebrity sightings, all nestled away in Port Coquitlam, BC. I'm going to throw out a word of caution here. This adventure is a little darker than most on this channel. So if things like mental illness, unjust treatment of patients, murders, suicide, ghosts, and other things that comes with tales like these are not for you, please choose another adventure, as this is not the one for you. That being said, if you've been on an adventure with me before, you know that I only say what needs to be said without getting into the details. In order to start this tour, we have to check in with security first. This place is so actively explored by YouTubers, urban explorers, and just regular people who stumble upon it like you and me. There must be a security presence at all times to keep things running smoothly on the grounds. Plus, it's often an active film set, but we'll get into that later. It's just turning to dust now, and we're heading into one of Canada's most haunted places, the Old Riverview Psychiatric Hospital. Keep your chins up, eyes open, and don't forget to check over your shoulder every once in a while. You never know who might be following us. The story goes, in 1904, the provincial government purchased 1,000 acres of land in what was then rural Coquitlam, B.C. Their objective? To build a hospital to house the mentally ill as the province was having a huge overcrowding issue at its current facilities in Victoria and Westminster. In 1909, the B.C. provincial government would announce an open competition to all architects to design a new hospital for the recently purchased grounds in Coquitlam. The building was to house 480 people and have a strong presence in the area. They wanted the building to be beautiful. It was later announced that architect Harry Sandham Griffiths' design had been chosen and the construction would begin on the project in 1910. The new hospital would begin to be built on the north slopes of Colony Farms, the farm that grew food for the patients of the new Westminster Hospital for the Insane. I'm sorry, that's what its name was back then. The two organizations, Riverview Hospital and Colony Farms, would develop a dark working relationship right from the start. Before the hospital was even opened, 
Patients who were not housed due to overcrowding issues were sent to Riverview to help with the construction. They were put up in temporary houses on the property. First stop on our tour tonight surely will not disappoint. Everyone gather around and get those cameras out because this is one of the most frequently visited buildings and photographed by the internet. She's become quite iconic in the abandoned and haunted world. Here stands the West Lawn Building. This was not her name until 1950, but is what she is called today. It is a four-story high made out of reinforced concrete and cast concrete building. There are two-story high column-style pillars out front, six of them in total. A long set of stairs leads creepily up to the front porch and doorway, where there are two large balconies above that. It is known to have Carrera marble imported from Italy that can be found in some of the stairwells and showers. I'll let you go ahead and take some pictures now. Do you want to go inside? Let's take a look. We enter the old hospital with permission and proper mask on because there is mold and asbestos in all these old buildings so do take caution if you head out this way. We begin to walk down an old forgotten hallway, peering into rooms that have a few remaining objects, leaving hints that it was once a hospital. Rusted bed frames, bedside tables, metal bedpans. The old curtain tracks can be seen on the ceiling where the curtains once hung that protected people's privacy. And the peeling chipping paint, no doubt, is the paint scheme of any generic hospital setting. Not to mention the layers of dust that can be seen everywhere. It sure is spooky in here. Let me tell you what I know about this place. Once the completion of what we know today as the West Lawn Building, located on Boxwood Drive, then it was known as the Male Chronic Wing, the hospital opened up under the name the Hospital for the Mind at Mount Coquitlam. 300 of the most seriously ill men were moved in on April 1st. The building had a capacity of 480 patients. By the end of its first year, it had 919. Its name would change to Eastendale Hospital in 1913 as it was named after Dr. Henry Eason Young, who played a key role in getting the hospital up and running. The surrounding neighborhood would become known as the Eastendale Neighborhood. It would not become the Riverview Psychiatric Hospital until 1966. In 1913, the believed course of treatment for the mentally ill was herbal tonics, lots of rest in pleasant country settings, and lots of fresh air. This made Coquitlam the perfect place for the Eastendale Hospital. Since it was located in such a remote location in the country, it even had its own train stop. They also believed farming and gardening would help cure madness. Back then, that is how they referred to it leading to the long-lasting friendship with their neighbors, Colony Farms, and starting a botanical garden on the property. And a botanical garden was also started on the property, but we will get into all that in a bit. Right now, we are exploring the West Lawn Building. Whoa, did you hear that? I thought I heard a bang just over there in the room to the left. We all slowly peer into the room and see nothing. Whew. Hopefully it was just the wind. Let's keep going. There are so many names of ghosts that could be in this building. As to be honest, there's just too many options to choose from. The amount of patience and wrongdoing that have gone on here 
would make it hard to determine who has not moved on. But it does come with all your common ghost tricks. Dark shadows coming and going, voices being heard but no one is there, chairs sliding, footsteps being heard belonging to no one, objects moving or disappearing, and of course, everyone's favorite ghost trick, the famous door slam. These claims also come from staff who were still working when the hauntings were happening. It did not just become haunted once it was abandoned. Some even claimed to have been poked, touched, or even felt they were being observed by something they could not see. There are tunnels underneath the buildings that are all connected and are claimed to be the most haunted. Staff have claimed to see lights flickering, emergency lights fail in the tunnels and hear footsteps and constant voices, yet no one is around. There is a former janitor who claims they are the creepiest of them all. From the mistreated patients, overdoses, murders, suicides, and more that went on inside these walls, I'd say that's pretty tame for all the hurt that it holds. This haunted old beauty has been abandoned since 1983, holding all its dark secrets locked up in boarded windows and padlocked doors, almost like a very haunted time capsule. Those who have been inside claim to have encountered many strange experiences, you can read about them online for hours and hours in Google comments and Reddit accounts. Comments like, Do not go here after dark unless you have a death wish. The building is for sure haunted. If you love horror movies and are into paranormal activity, this is the place for you. Steeped in history and macabre tales of the mad. Some people say this place is creepy and I understand. Arrived on the property at 3 a.m. and GPS stopped working. Lost on the property for over an hour. Five stars based on the creep scale and of course the wonderful tree specimens. Apparently each tree was planted over a deceased patient. While filming, the hydro went out and the security backup failed causing all the metal security doors to slam shut. And finally, a very stern warning. Do not go here. Don't Go there, spooky as hell, and you may see things that will frankly haunt you. I'm not kidding, stay away. All in capital letters, so this is very serious. The comments go on and on and on. Do check them out if you have time to get lost down a scary rabbit hole. On Monday, May 5th, 1913, the New Westminster Times would post a report from C.E. Dotry, the medical superintendent at the Easendale Hospital. The report shows that 892 patients in all were treated for insanity in the month of April. The report also stated that one patient had died and one had escaped. Also in 1913, the very first and only named resident ghost that I could find begins haunting her room and the halls around it. Mary Sinclair had murdered her three children. After being sentenced to the hospital, she had to be restrained after she scratched her own eyes out in grief for what she had done. In an attempt to cure Mary from her madness at the time, the doctors tried to use experimental electroshock therapy on her. In her medical records, it states during one of these procedures, Mary bit off her tongue and bled to death but there are also rumors that she was murdered by the staff in order to cover something up, as her body has never been found. 
She is believed to be one of the many unmarked graves out back. We'll talk about them later. To this day, scratches, banging, and screams can be heard from Mary's room. The hallway outside her room is known to echo with screams. People report seeing a woman with no eyes in her bedroom window while looking up from the courtyard below. No one has ever been able to stay in Mary's room again. Anyone want to stay the night? I'm just kidding. One more thing before we head out. Remember the movie The Butterfly Effect starring Ashton Kutcher? Look back again at this creepy old hospital. Remember the Sunnyvale Institution where he was taken as a young boy for testing? That's it right there. Oh, and Halloween Resurrection was also filmed here too. It was used as the Grace Anderson Sanitarium. Most recently, in the hit teen show Riverdale, when Betsy's sister Polly was at the Sisters of Quiet Mercy Home, the Riverview Hospital was used. It was also used as the Southside High School in the show. Other notable mentions, Romeo Must Die, Dark Angel, which I know was a favorite of my mom's back in the day, shout out to my mom, also, such films as Saw and The Watchmen, the hospital appears in the opening credits. Now let's head over to what was once Colony Farms and I'll tell you about this lovely place. Back in the early 1900s, Colony Farms would open and provide food for the local Westminster Hospital. As luck would have it, the Eastendale Hospital would be built literally right next door and they believed that farming was good for their patients, which it would be if they weren't so mistreated. As the hospital grew, its need for resources also grew. Patients began to work at Colony Farms in order to provide food for the hospital and its growing number of patients. Eventually, enough produce and meat would be produced thanks to the help of the patients, the farm would be able to provide food for both hospitals. Unfortunately, the patients were treated and forced to work more like slaves, not surprisingly, as we were so kind to one another back in the day. There were reports of fights and patients escaping from the farm for years. There is even one report of a man being stabbed with a pitchfork in the face for the second time and he lived miraculously only losing one eye in the ordeal, but his appearance after the second attack was said to have left him quite scary as one can imagine. The farm went on to produce with great success. Its animals were even shown at local fairs and on the world stage, like the Chicago World Fair. They would even win top prizes for their animals, most notable, their Clydesdale horses were prized possessions. The province was so proud of the farm, it was used as a showpiece and advertised. People came from around the world to see it daily. The farm was an absolute success, producing over 700 tons of crops and 20,000 gallons of milk in a year, using almost all patient labor, so it was all for profit. Very sad. On February 2, 1914, the Vancouver Chinook published a full-page article about the farm with many pictures describing its achievements. The farming operation would close down in 1983 after outrage from the public. Today, the Forensic Psychiatric Hospital now stands on the grounds that was opened in 1997. Watch your step, I don't want anybody tripping as it's starting to get a little dark. We're just heading over now to a building known as Center Lawn. It was opened on November 1st, 1924. 
as the acute psychopathic unit, which can be found on Lawn Drive. Sitting right next to the West Lawn building, this was designed by a different architect, but has similar features. It again has the pillars and the balconies out front, but the building surrounding it is red brick. I'll give you a few minutes to walk around and snap some pics again. It was built to include a female unit as they were running out of room in public hospitals for them and the new Westminster Hospital could not take any more. This building comes with all the same tricks as the first. Slamming doors, I won't scare you this time I promise. Footsteps belonging to no one, screams being heard, as well as banging and bumps in the night. Electricity tends to malfunction and everybody's favorite, disembodied voices. This building being the second bill and the last to close remained open the longest. The last patient would be removed in 2012, making it the last active part of the old Riverview Psychiatric Hospital. After 30 years, all parts of the old hospital would finally be shut down. Next, we'll head over to a magical place known as Feeney's Garden, just off of Caria Drive. In 1951, Art Feeney, a nurse at the hospital, started a garden. He encouraged patients to make it their own. And today, you can walk through it thanks to local volunteers who are working very hard to restore it. It really is a hidden gem in the city, with fountains, hidden chairs, and benches along the trails to stop and enjoy. So feel free to take a break. They've specially lit the garden for us tonight so we could see it all. Stone stepways, mature trees, flower-covered arches, bird houses of all kinds, and even a garden shed full of tools so that anyone can lend a helping hand to the secret Feeney's Garden. And if you're really lucky, you may even spot an armadillo. Did any of you see him? This beautiful garden has survived the scars of time and blossomed in a place often seen to be so dark. Feeney's Garden is a reminder that the most resilient flower is the one who survives the darkness. While we head over to our next stop, let me read you a newspaper clipping I found from November 6, 1925 in the Canadian Labour Advocate. It states that James Scott, who was a fireman, oiler, and active member of the Seafarers Union, both ashore and at sea, was last on the ship the Canadian importer when he fell ill and went to St. Paul's Hospital, but was transferred to Eastendale Hospital on July the 3rd. He would pass away shortly after in September under strange circumstances and his mother and his family were not contacted. They themselves had tried to receive updates regarding his progress only to be met with no real answers. Then in November that year, a month after he had passed away, his mother finally received a reply back regarding his passing. This is just one of the many cases of very strange treatment around one's death just like Mary Sinclair we mentioned earlier. Next, we approach the East Lawn Building, here just off of Lawn Drive, commonly referred to as the Female Clinic. It was open in 1930 and had 675 beds. Back then, it was known as the Female Chronic Unit. Sadly, it is around this time the hospital began the practice of sterilizing its patients, believing this would rid the world of the illness. Between the 1930s and 1960s, over 200 patients, mostly women, suffered this fate. 
In 2003, a lawsuit was filed by nine women who had been sterilized during this time. In 2005, the province would award these brave women $450,000. Even sadder, a woman could be dropped off by her husband for simply being too paranoid, and she would be checked in and forgotten so he could move on. East Lawn is the largest of the old Riverview Psychiatric Hospital buildings. She would be the third to open and close. This is also known as a very popular filming location nowadays. So do keep those cameras ready. You never know who could pop around the corner. Most recently at this location, Deadpool 2 filmed their initial and final battle scenes here. I don't know about you, but I'm totally okay with running into Ryan Reynolds. So when Deadpool 3 is filming, I'll be hanging out here. The TV show Supernatural is known to use the whole Riverview grounds quite often. You can find it featured at least once every season. The old Riverview Psychiatric Hospital is one of Canada's most scouted film locations every year. Next we're heading over to a building known as the Cease Clinic. It's just off of Pine Terrace Road. The first phase of this building was started in 1914 and completed in 1934, known as the Veterans Clinic. And the second phase would start in 1949, the East Wing, doubling the building's size. Made out of reinforced concrete, she stands at four stories tall with an orangish brick pattern design. It has a beautiful double staircase leading up to the front doors and all the windows are beautifully framed. It is said to have turned out to be Riverview's most iconic building. It is arguably one of the most photographed buildings on the property after the West Lawn, often nicknamed the prettiest building. She would close her doors in 1992. A patient was known for living on the roof of the Cease Clinic. He had been released from the hospital but had nowhere else to go, so every time they released him, he would set up camp on the roof. He was pretty good at hiding it, stealing small pieces of food and blankets at first, and he tended to go unnoticed. But once furniture started to go missing, and it was located on the roof of the building, he was busted and removed. This building is the most commonly used by film crews. Other honorable mentions that have possibly filmed here or at other locations on these grounds, shows like The X-Files, Smallville, Prison Break, and the movie Final Destination. Next we're off to our second last stop of the night, the North Lawn Building. On our way over there, as it's a bit of a hike, I'm going to tell you a not-so-pleasant story of a boy named Thomas who ended up being a patient here after he did something unimaginable for a 16-year-old boy to do. So zip those coats up tight, the sun is starting to go down and the wind is getting a bit cold. We're heading over towards Oak Crescent and don't forget to check behind us every once in a while. It's starting to get pretty creepy out here. patient of the hospital was Thomas Kosberg. He was a 16-year-old boy who on December 10, 1965 would murder five of his family members one afternoon when he claimed he couldn't get a hold of his psychiatrist and was hearing voices. There is even a claim that he made them all chocolate milkshakes with sleeping pills crushed up in them before he went on his brutal attack with an axe. He was deemed not criminally responsible for his actions by reason of insanity and he was placed in Riverview Psychiatric Hospital from 1967 to 1977. When he was released by a doctor who labeled him sober and sensible, at age 27 years old, he would be free to go and live his life again. And he did. 
He married and worked at a children's hospital for 30 years in Kelowna, BC. He later passed away in 2016. And this I just had to share with you because it's my most favorite comment of all the Google and Reddit comments I went through. Shout out to Chatty R on Google Reviews. He claimed something very fascinating two years ago. I don't know why Wikipedia says Riverview is closed. I go there for my weekly ECT sessions. The staff are incredibly friendly. One of the security guards looks exactly like Dr. Phil. They have a ton of cool vending machines. As far as I know, this is the only hospital in Canada where you can smoke indoors. And I'm not talking about cigarettes. I frequently run into Wayne Bowden, the infamous vampire rapist. The press says he died in 2006, but trust me, he's always there. Wayne loves blueberry muffins, so make sure you bring some with you if you want to chat. So yeah, if you're ever in the area and curious if Wayne Bowden is indeed around, don't forget your blueberry muffins. Now let's check out the North Lawn building. Opened in 1955, it was known as the Tuberculosis Unit. This was also the same year that Riverview Psychiatric Hospital would see its most amount of patients ever. In 1956, the hospital grounds reached 5,000 patients and staff. The overcrowding was so bad, beds were lined side to side along the walls and had to be pulled out of line to be made. There is even reports of patients' beds being in the washrooms. Around 1967, the amount of patients would finally start to decline thanks to advances in medicine, patient outcare programs were being developed, and in-hospital care was becoming more common. Patients were no longer needing to stay as long, and the hospital shrunk back down to only needing about 800 beds. In the early years, a patient's average stay was about three years, and some never ever left. In 1969, more downsizing would take place and Riverview would become an open hospital, meaning regular doctors could now send their patients there and not just the courts. In 1984, the grounds began selling off chunks of land to the housing developers. In 1987, drafts were done up to close the Riverview Psychiatric Hospital once and for all. In 1990, Riverview was reduced to just 358 beds. The East Lawn and the North Lawn building were closed down in the early 2000s. And by 2012, the last patient was removed and the doors were closed and locked tight one last time. The Riverview Psychiatric Hospital and all its stories were now all locked up in time capsules where they still stand. Today, this location is transformed into Riverview Heights, a housing development. There is also Colony Farms Regional Park, Riverview Forest Park, and a high-security 190-bed facility known as the Forensic Psychiatric Hospital, located on what was once Colony Farms grounds. It is known for many violent attacks and escapes that often go on for hours before the immediate public is notified, which is a constant battle in the neighborhood. A local counselor is quoted as saying many years ago, the hospital should be in the Rocky Mountains or on an island somewhere. This land has been home to the mentally ill since 1909 and people have been fighting about it since then. It breaks my heart and that's all I'm going to say. As we stroll along on our way out of here, you'll notice the old cottages along Oak Crescent Road they are the houses the staff used to stay in and are surrounded by trails, groves of trees, 
and trees even draping over the cottages ever so perfectly. These gorgeous trees can be found all along the property, and you may have noticed them on our adventure today. Back in 1911, and until 1916, an exquisite botanical garden was set up here by the first provincial botanist of BC known as John Davidson. He began a stunning collection of trees, but not just any collection. They were from all over the seven continents. He wanted different specimens from all temperate zones across the globe, and he did just that. Patients helped build the beautiful garden as the work was seen as therapeutic, hence why Art Feeney wanted to continue his tradition when he arrived in 1951. Unfortunately, Davidson's work of art was moved to the University of British Columbia as it was seen a more fitting location for tourists to visit. What remains are roughly 1,900 magnificent trees scattered along the property, 163 different species, and 113 different varieties. Not only is it a stunning collection of unique trees, their gene pool is considered to be of most value, and the collection itself is said to be one of the greatest in North America. A recent estimate suggests that if the trees were broken up and sold individually, they would fetch well over $50 million in total, but if sold as a collection, they would be worth significantly more the Riverview Horticulture Center Society gives tree tours on Sunday and they have an event every year in September called Tree Fest if you are interested in learning more about this beautiful collection. If you can forget about what's lurking behind us for one minute, the grounds can almost seem tranquil at times. Not only is there a unique collection of trees, there's also wildlife. Like black bears, bobcats, coyote, deer, and over 80 species of bird, thanks to the variety of vegetation in the area. In 2009, the Riverview Psychiatric Hospital was added to Canada's register of historical places. Today, this collection of 20th century architecture and lush ecosystem needs to be protected so it can be enjoyed for years to come. As we leave these grounds, you will notice a well-kept meadow on your left just off of Orchid Drive. If you look even closer, you will see, just peeking out of the grass, what appears to be small stone slabs the size of a nameplate. Some have names on them, but many have been left unmarked. They are the markers of the many lives once lost on these grounds, lives that often had no home to go to, and that's why these grounds are believed to be some of the most haunted in Canada, as there is so many forgotten and unsettled spirits from so many years trapped on these grounds. I hope you enjoyed this tour today of the old Riverview Psychiatric Grounds. I know I sure did, from its old abandoned buildings to the number of patients who seem to have not have left, and the wonderful gardens and amazing trees add a beauty that is so needed in this place, often seen to be so dark due to its present appearance and awful history. She truly is a hauntingly beautiful place. And thank you so much to listener David H. I hope this tale was everything you were looking for. I'm Canadian Girl. Until next time, my friends. And be careful the rest of the way out of this place. If you're looking for more podcasts to enjoy while you wait for our next adventure, please check out Dear Murder Street, 
where the Carroll sisters host a podcast that takes a fictional phone call or letter to start off the story, and then the sisters dive right in to tell you all the info, plus more. And my favorite part of all, you won't believe where they grew up. And my next one goes out to Where Does It Go podcast. It's a super neat show that tells you where everything goes, from lost luggage to stardust. Host Emily and Sarah take on a topic each to discuss. They are a great team full of interesting information and laughs. You can find both of these podcasts on the podcast app you're listening to now. If you can't, of course, I'll include links to them below. You guys who always listen to the very end, you're the kind of friends that everybody needs. I hope your week is awesome and watch out for the straight up strange out there. I'm Canadian Girl. support the show? You can do that in three simple ways. The first one, you can leave us a shiny five-star review on Apple Podcasts. This small gesture means so much to this podcast as it allows us to move around on the podcast charts and meet more awesome listeners like you. The second, you can stop by our souvenir shop and pick up a souvenir from one of our great adventures and take it on your very own. There's t-shirts, water bottles, notebooks, and so much more. Do head over to our souvenir shop today and grab some adventure gear. And finally, the third way you can help support the show is by donation. We have a fancy PayPal button that can be found on the top right of our webpage, nothingcanada.com. This button allows you the option to donate as much as you want, whenever you want. All donations will be used for the channel by buying new books for research, paying for the podcast website, and upgrading equipment. All three links to help support the show, of course, can be found in the show notes below. I thank you all so much for your support of the show. It means the world to me.